Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We've been studying through the Revelation Revealing a lot of things that are happening to the end times. Reveals a lot of things about what's going to happen and what has been happening in human history and Christian history. But when we come to chapter 12, it stops for just a minute and something interesting happens. In chapters 12, 13, and part of 14, God actually stops and through the revelation of Jesus, he introduces the participants of the apocalypse. Now, if any of you have read or ever read a story or read a play... In a play, usually at the first of the play, it's going to identify all the characters in that play and give you some description about them. If you read a book and it has to do with people, in that book, in the first few lines or chapters, they're going to introduce the people to you and help you understand who they are and how they play a part in that book. We go all the way to chapter 12 of the Revelation before there's ever the identification of the participants of the apocalypse. And whenever he starts to identify, he's helping them to understand these are the players. These are the people. These are the ones who are participating in these end events, as well as helping us to understand how all of human history is tied to these participants that he identifies. So in chapter 12, he identifies five of those participants. In chapter 13, he identifies two. In the first part of chapter 14, he'll identify the last of those participants. So today, you're being introduced to the participants of the apocalypse. But also, I want you to hold on. When we go through this, there's a lot of information. You're going to have to listen carefully, write down some things, and please go online and get those notes that I give to you. A lot of stuff you're going to hear, but I want you to hold on to the very end, all right? Because I'm going to give you some uh, glorious truths that will help you in daily living beyond what you could ever imagine, all right? So I want you to see, say, well, I'm not too much into that revelation stuff. I'm not too much into that history. I'm not too much into what's happening. Well, you just hold on and hang on because we're going to share with you something that's going to help you and bless you that you'll find here right in chapter 12, all right? So let's be introduced to these participants of the apocalypse. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, or crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. These are the first three participants. We'll pick up with those others in just a minute. The first of those participants, it says there is a woman. 
And she's described as the radiant woman. The radiant woman who says she's clothed with sun and the moon was under her feet and she has a diadem or a crown upon her head that has 12 stars on it. Now, and that she is pregnant and she is about to have a baby. She's in the midst of giving birth. Who is this woman? Well, first of all, this woman does not represent the church. Some people say, well, this woman is the church. It's the church and and the process of how God brought the church to the world. That's not true. So mark that one off your list. It's not the church. How do you know it's not the church? Because this child that she's about to give birth to, you're going to find out in a minute, is Jesus the Christ. Amen? It is Jesus who is this child who's going to be born. And it is Jesus who gives birth to the church, not the church giving birth to Jesus. You got that in your mind? Jesus is the one who bursts into existence, the church, not the reverse. Therefore, this woman being pregnant, about to have this child, is not the church. It's also not the Virgin Mary. Some of you have that, well, this is the Virgin Mary. She's about to give birth. It's not the Virgin Mary. How? Because if you look in verses 6, when it says that he is going to cause her great pain, and she's going to run out in the wilderness, and in verse 13 and following, you see more about how she's going to flee and go in the wilderness, and that Satan, this old dragon, is going to be after her. Well, none of that happened to Mary. None of that took place to, with Mary. So this is not the Virgin Mary. So who is this woman who is the radiant woman described here? It is the nation of Israel. All right, you need to write that down. This woman is the nation of Israel. And how do you know that? Well, you know it because of the description it gives. It says she's clothed with a sun. The moon is under her feet. And she has 12 stars in her crown. Have you ever heard that before? You should have. If you were reading in the Genesis, in in the book of Genesis, whenever Joseph, you remember Joseph, that great man of God who was sold into slavery by his brothers and who became the one who led them towards Egypt and gave them a place in Egypt. Remember when he was just a little boy, he had a dream, actually two dreams. But in one of those dreams, this is what he dreamed. He says, told his brothers and told his family, I had this dream and God showed me that I would be standing or sitting on the throne and bowing before me would be the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Representing his father, his mother, and his 11 brothers. So right there, it tells you who it is. It's going to be those of the lineage of that father who is Jacob or Israel. And those stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. And therefore, it is Jacob, Israel, who is the sun. It is Rachel, who is the moon, the mother. And it is those 12 sons who are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. So out of this nation, out of this woman, she is going to have birth. She is going to give birth to a child. She's going to give birth to a son. She is in the agony of childbirth. And who is that child she's going to give birth to? That child she's going to give birth to is none other than Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Look what it says there in verse number five. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. It was proclaimed and it was was in a vision that was given to actually Balaam. 
that this one who's the Christ, this Messiah who'd be coming, is going to be the ruler who's going to have the scepter in his hand, and he is going to rule. And therefore, how is it and who is it this woman's going to have? She's going to give birth to this one who's the Christ, the Messiah, who is going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is going to sit on the throne of his father David forever and ever. It's a picture of the birth of Christ. Through the nation of Israel comes this Messiah who is going to rule and reign over this world. Right? Now, that brings us to the second participant back there in verse 3 when it says, And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. A great red dragon with seven heads, with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns are diadems. Who is this great dragon? That's none other than who? Satan himself. Satan himself. Having seven heads, your head is where your intelligence lies, and seven is the number of completeness. He is completely intelligent, far more brilliant, far more intelligent than anybody, anyone, any other of creation. He's so cunning and wise, he knows how to deceive in every way possible. He has 10 horns for it is going to be based on Daniel chapter 7 verse 24. It's going to be 10 kings who are ultimately going to give him rulership and he's going to be the ruler of the world because they are going to lay down before him without any war and let him become the ruler of the world through the person of the Antichrist. This old dragon is Satan and Satan is real. I don't know about you, Whenever I used, when I was a child, we had a Bible storybook. Y'all remember that old Bible storybook? It's about that thick. And I couldn't stand that page whenever it had talked about Satan. Y'all remember that? It was an ugly old red dragon. I mean, it's described just like it. And I was scared to death of that dragon. I skip, anytime we were reading the Bible, I said, skip them pages. We don't want to look at those pages. I, I, I like to be able to sleep. Well, is that really what Satan looks like? No, that's not what Satan looks like. You know what Satan looks like? He's pretty. He's pretty and he's cunning and he's exact. But, but what God is doing here is he's describing his nature. He's describing his nature. He's describing who he is in his heart. For remember, see, God sees in the heart, not on the outside. God sees you the same way. Do you realize that? God's not really impressed whether you have a three-piece suit on or you have a nice dress on. He sees, first of all, in your heart. What matters most to him is what's in your heart. And what he's describing here is what he sees in the heart of old Satan. He's an old serpent. He's an old dragon. He's an old deceiver. He's wicked. And this old dragon, this Satan, he is real. Do not think he is not real. He is a created being. He's a created being. And he is going to constantly be in battling against God. And he's going to constantly be battling against the plan of God and the people of God. Look what it says happens here in verse 4. It says, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. I described that a few weeks ago. Remember, that's whenever Lucifer decided that he didn't want to be in submission to God anymore. And he rebelled against the throne of God. And when he did, God cast him down. And when he cast him down, a third of the angels fell with him and became demons. 
And a third of those stars, those stars representing those angels, a third of those angels fell with him. And they're the demons that you deal with each day. (laughs) They're the demons that you have to deal with who are real and who are doing battle and who are in, in cahoots with the old enemy. A third of those stars fell down and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now, that lets you know the whole picture and scheme of what is happening in this world. Hold on with me just a minute. Let, let's understand that, okay? Satan, it says, wants to devour the child that Israel is going to give birth to, wants to devour the Messiah. Now, why would it be that the old dragon is sitting there waiting to devour the Messiah? There's a story. It begins in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, whenever Satan deceived man and Satan caused man to sin, then God came on this earth and sin entered into this world and, old, and God dealt with both man and the woman and he dealt with a serpent, old enemy, Satan. What did he tell him? He said, listen, you're going to constantly have enmity between you and man. There's going to be enmity between you and man. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you. Listen now. He says, you are going to bruise the heel of man. But man is going to bruise or crush your head. Listen to that now. He says, you're going to bruise the heel of man. But man and his seed is going to crush your head. Well, it's true the old enemy's been bruising hills all the time, hasn't he? And he ended up bruising the heel of the one who was the Messiah. But wait a minute. God's plan is still that plan, and that is the fact that through the seed of man, his head is going to be crushed. So what did Satan set out to do? He set out to destroy man. How did he do that? In chapter 4 of Genesis, he had Cain to do what? To kill Abel. Why? He's trying to destroy man. And he thinks he's won. But did he? No. God raised up Seth. Right? He raised up Seth in his place. The old enemy wanted to have man destroyed. So he caused wickedness to be on this earth. So much wickedness. That God said he regretted that he made man. And he set out and destroyed the world with a worldwide flood and everything died. But God still saved Noah, who was a righteous man. See, anything and everything that Satan could do to destroy man, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted, he's called the destroyer. He wanted to destroy man because man was going to crush his head. Somebody was going to crush his head. So he was out to destroy man. But hold on a second. He was pretty wise. He listened to what God said. He was listening in to a conversation when he heard God speak to a man named Abraham. You've heard of him? He's the father of the Jews. He's where it all begins. In Genesis chapter 12, about verse 15, I think it is, God gives a promise to Abraham. When he gives a promise to Abraham, he tells Abraham this. He says, Abraham, through your seed, through your seed, all the families of the world will be blessed. Now, you know what that just said? It says that 
God's not only going to use man to crush his head, but he's specifically going to use the lineage of Abraham. Satan realized that it's Abraham who is going to be the one who is the chosen one. It's going to be through his lineage. And Abraham was the father of the children of Israel. Remember that baby being born to he and Sarah when they're way beyond childbirth. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob, wait a minute, and Jacob becomes Israel. And Israel is the father of all those nations. So he knows and understands that it's going to be through the lineage of Abraham that this one is coming who will crush his head. So what's he going to do? He's got to listen further. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, in that prophecy that it quoted about the rod and about him having the scepter, he tells that there's coming one who's going to have a scepter in his hand. That scepter in his hand, and he is going to rule the nation, and he's going to take back dominion of the world, which Satan had now because he had stolen it from man. And so Satan knows again, I've got to deal with the children of Israel. I've got to deal with these people. I've got to stop them. I've got to keep them from being blessed. And boy, did he ever set things in motion, didn't he? He certainly did. He caused Esau, the brother of Jacob, to want to kill Jacob. But thank God, God saved Jacob. Amen. Not only that, he eventually carries, has the Egyptians to carry and hold them in captivity and slavery. And they're in slavery to the, to the Egyptians for 400 and something years. And do you remember a strange command that God gave, that, that Pharaoh gave from the enemy? What was that strange command? He told them that they could let the girls live, but that all the boys had to be what? Had to be killed. Had to be killed or cast into the Nile River. Why did Pharaoh come up with that plan? Because the old enemy is whispering in his voice, you got to get rid of the males. You got to get rid of the males because one of, the, one of those is going to be the one who crushes my head all through the Bible. You find those stories whenever there's King Ahasuerus and he is in rulership over those who are in exile and they set forth a plan under the direction of Haman that they would destroy all the Jews. Where'd they come up with that plan? Because Satan knows it's through the Jews that the Messiah is going to come and therefore the Jews must be destroyed. And all through the Old Testament, you read the story, and it's all about somebody trying to destroy the Jews, destroy the nation of Israel, destroy the people. Why? Because Satan wants to keep the Messiah, that child of God, that anointed one, Jesus, from coming. But is he successful? No, not successful. So Jesus is born. And he's born in a little city, a little town called what? Bethlehem. You remember what happens next around Bethlehem? Three wise men come. Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Three wise men come and they're looking for who? The king of the Jews. (laughs) Satan is listening. (laughs) They come to Herod's house and say to Herod, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Herod says, go and find them. And when you do, come back and tell me so that I can worship as well. That was not the voice of Herod. That was the voice of the enemy. When they found Jesus, the angel of God told them to go home a different way. And they went home a different way. And Herod found out 
that they had deceived him. So Herod sent forth a command in Matthew chapter 2. He records it to go to the city of Bethlehem and to kill all the male children. All the male children, two years of age and under. Why did Herod give that command? Because he's an instrument of the enemy. He's an instrument of this dragon. And that dragon who's sitting there and wanting to destroy that baby, he's trying to destroy it. But can he win? No, God had already told Joseph to leave. And God preserved Jesus and preserved Messiah. And he grew up as a little boy and he became a man. And he is called now to fulfill the plan of God. When he's called to fulfill the plan of God, Satan realizes who he is. So what Satan wants to do is to make him sin and to disqualify himself. So he takes him out into a desert, to the wilderness, and there he tempts him three times in every way possible you could imagine to tempt him. But he never gives in and Satan is defeated that day. Not only that, when he goes to his hometown one time and he's teaching, the people cannot believe that he's really the Messiah because he grew up in in their town and they cannot accept what he says and they're going to throw him off the brow of a cliff. You remember that? His hometown going to throw him off the brow of the cliff. But you remember what it says? That Jesus walks through them in the midst of them and they do not touch him. Why? God's protection. The Pharisees and Sadducees are set out to destroy him. And one time they get so angry at what he says, they're going to take up stones to stone him. But what? Jesus hides himself. That doesn't mean he runs and hides. He hides himself so that they cannot take up the stones to kill him. For that is not the plan of God. Oh, Satan is so angry that he finally says there's nothing to do with him but kill him. So on a Friday afternoon uh, before a holy weekend, he has this one who, as that child, is the Messiah, has him nailed to a cross. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, he kills him on that cross and Satan thinks that he has won. But he has it. He has it. See, this is all the plan of God, the plan of of redemption. And Jesus Christ comes forth from that grave and he reveals himself to his disciples and to many people in those 40 days. And then he ascends to the Father. Do not miss that in verse number five. Listen to what it says. It says, And her child was caught up to God to his throne. That's the ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascended at that time and he's at the throne of God today. Now, between verses 5 and verse 6, it's called a prophetic gap. You know what a prophetic gap is? A prophetic gap is that whenever there are two verses right next to each other, and they look like they go together, but there's really a period of time that's between them. That was one of the reasons John the Baptist had a problem with Jesus at one time. Remember when John sent Jesus a question? He said, are you really the Messiah after he had proclaimed him as the Lamb of God? Do you know why he questioned that? Because John had proclaimed two things. He, he proclaimed the ministry of Jesus when he walked here on the earth. And then he proclaimed that Jesus, that there's an axe sitting right at the root of the tree and that God's judgment is coming and that the Messiah is going to be the one who comes and rules and reigns and judges. And he doesn't see Jesus doing any of that. And he's confused about what's happening. You know what the problem was? Because when John spoke it, there's a prophetic gap. Jesus had this part of ministry to do now, and he's going to do the next when he comes again. Amen? 
That's why the Jews have a hard time accepting Jesus now. They want him to come as ruler and reign and king of kings and to give them peace in this world. And he didn't come. He came to die for sin and to save you from your own sin and bondage the first time. He's coming the second time as king of kings. Here is a prophetic gap. Between verses 5 and 6 is what is called the church age. 2,000 years right now, and it couldn't be, I don't know how much longer, but there's a period between the time that Jesus sends and what happens in verse 6. It says in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. This period of time is the midway point of the tribulation, seven years of tribulation. That's when it's talking about that she's going to have to run and she's going to have to try to hide herself and God's going to have to nourish her and take care of her in that period of time because of what's about to happen, what's about to describe about the old dragon and him getting cast down and how angry he's going to be. But there's this gap. He's at the throne, amen, and he's coming again one day. And now we saw that gap in verse 6. So the woman is Israel, the child is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the old dragon is Satan. And the third of those stars are his demons who've been working ever since his fall. Look what happens then in verse 7. It introduces us to some other players. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with a dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. It describes a war that's going on in heaven. And that war is between Michael, the archangel, and old Satan and his enemies. Michael with his good angels and old Satan with his fallen angels. And there is this war that is going to take place. This war is going to take place midway through the tribulation period. Midway through that tribulation period. Now, remember this, that whenever old Satan sinned the first time, He was cast down, but he still had certain privileges. He had the opportunity of going before God and and to petition God about things in, in that experience of Job. It says he went before God constantly as our accuser. Do you know that today old Satan stands right before the throne of God as accuser of you? Did you know that? Every time you sin, every time you mess up, he's standing there before the throne of God. He calls your name. You see that? God, they're they're sorry. They're not worth anything. They don't love you. They don't serve Jesus. They're constantly, he's constantly accusing you. Do you ever hear that voice? Do you ever hear that voice ringing from heaven in your own heart? That accusation old Satan makes whenever you falter and fail? Well, he is the accuser and he's still there before that throne right now. But three and a half years into, listen now, three and a half years into the tribulation period, something is going to happen. And what's going to happen? Satan is going to go and do war again with God. You know what he's warring with God about? He's warring to be able to take the throne of God. He's going to take the throne of God. Now think about that a minute. He tried one time and he was unsuccessful, right? 
So now after all this, why would old Satan in all of his arrogance and pride, why would he go back and seek to dethrone God? Because he is arrogant and prideful. All right. And because of his numerous, listen to me now, his numerous successes. See, old Satan, since he's been thrown down to this earth, he, he considers himself pretty successful. He does. You know how some of the successes are? Well, first of all, it was the success of deceiving man and causing him to sin in the garden. And therefore ruining all the creation that God had made and letting sin come into the world. Do you know how else he'd been successful? That when God chose Israel as the nation of Israel and God blessed them and poured blessings on them and gave to them his covenant promises of blessings and bountiful blessings, Satan is constantly was constantly working and causing Israel to live in sin so that they would not experience the blessings. When they had all this opportunity experiencing blessings, Satan was successful to keep the children of Israel from experiencing the blessings and living in depravity. Satan is now successful in the fact that he has dominion over this world. He is the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He rules and reigns over this world. He's been successful. Not only that, his success in our own hearts and in our own world of blaming God. You know what? You know one of Satan's greatest. Listen to me now. Do not go to sleep on this. Do you know one of Satan's greatest accomplishments? One of his greatest accomplishments is everything that bad happens in the world, God gets blamed for. And God does everything good and blesses everyone and does nothing but good. But old Satan brings about for God to be cursed and God to be blamed. And Satan's arrogance just grows and grows because he's able to blame God when he knows it's him who's pulling all the strings. And even beyond that, he knows that he's hindered. Listen, he constantly and forever hinders the church and believers in Jesus from living by the power that God gave them. See, Satan knows that the greatest power in this world is the church. He knows the greatest power is in the child of God. He knows the greatest privilege is to pray before Almighty God. He knows that the children of God have the opportunity of taking heaven and bringing it to earth. But he also knows that he keeps the church from doing it. And where the church should be leading forth and having victory, Satan keeps it and hinders it in every way. And through all of that, through every one of those things, using his deception, using his power, he thinks finally and ultimately, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take the throne. I'm going to take the throne of God. But the good news is this. When he goes to take the throne, and he rebels that time, that final time. Michael, the archangel, stands forth with the angels of light and defeats him, all right? Defeats him and cast him down. Now, hold on a second. Listen to me. Do not miss this. Listen. Lucifer was the greatest creation God ever made, the most powerful, most intelligent, most beautiful creation God ever made, and he became Satan. 
Michael does not compare in power to Lucifer. But when it comes to this war, he is able to defeat Satan and all of his demons. He's able to defeat him because Michael knows something. He knows something. Listen to me now. He knows that he, even though he's a mighty angel, he cannot defeat Satan in his own power. And he knows he must call on the power of God. How do I know that? Turn in your Bibles right now. I want you to see it to Jude verse 9. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, we've been going through for a year, the book of Jude. In Jude verse 9, it tells a little story in there about when Michael and Satan were bargaining over the body of Moses. And it says whenever they're here and they're in this argument about who gets the body of Moses... It says, Michael does not stand or give argument in his own strength, but he says what? Who's who's reading it? The Lord rebuke you. He says that the Lord rebuke you and he wins. Do you know what Michael the archangel knew? He knew that even though he is an archangel that he could not defeat old Satan in his power and he had to call on the name of the Lord to rebuke him and then he wins. How is it that Michael and the angels of light win this battle? Because they do it in the name of the Lord. Now what's that got to do with you? Whenever you're fighting a fight, whenever you're in a battle with the old enemy and there are battles that you're going to be in constantly in this life, do not try to win it in your own strength. Michael, the archangel, couldn't win it in his strength. And I promise you, you're not going to win it in your strength. But you have the same privilege he had to call on the name of the Lord. And don't just say it in your mind. Say it out loud. The Lord rebuke you. Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Demon of hell, the Lord rebuke you. And the same victory that is won by Michael in this battle over the throne is able to be won by you. That's worth coming, bless God. You ought to be excited about that. If you're not excited about that, it's because you don't even know you're in a fight. And the only reason you're not in a fight is because you're sleeping somewhere. You start doing something for the kingdom, you'll be in a fight. You understand that? And when you get in that fight, you're going to want to know how to win. And you're not going to win in your own strength. You're going to become up wounded. But you can learn from Michael. Michael, the archangel, says, I win. And what happened? Listen to what happened. It says the great dragon, verse, nine, verse, uh, verse 8, was not strong enough. And no longer a place for them was found in heaven. You ought to underline that. They got cast out then. Hey, the old accuser of the brethren, he can't come anywhere close to the throne of God anymore. He's vanished from the throne of God. This began Satan's descent. Oh, yeah, he descends. He's getting thrown out of heaven. He's been thrown to the earth, and he's going to get thrown from the earth to the abyss. And from the abyss, he's going to get thrown in the lake of fire. He is on a downward turn, all right? And heaven now has been set free. Heaven has been so set free. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Why do you rejoice in heaven? Because he ain't there no more, bless God. He's not there anymore. You don't have to deal with the old accuser anymore. 
Go back up to verse number 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, what happened is he ain't in heaven anymore, but he is thrown down. Three and a half years into the tribulation, midway through, the great, through that tribulation, beginning to usher in the great tribulation. Halfway through, you know what's going to happen? Halfway through, the war happens, and he gets thrown down to this earth. And when he gets thrown down, heaven is set free. But look what it says there in verse 12 again, the second part. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. He says this. He said, heaven has been set free, but woe to you earth dwellers. Because he's coming and he's been cast down and he's living here. He and all those of his demons are living here and he's mad. He's not just mad, he realizes the time is short and he is going to be ever busy trying to destroy this world. Look what happens then, verse number 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. You know what he's setting forth? He's setting forth the most anti-Semitic events that have ever happened. Have you ever wondered why the Jews have been treated, treated, treated so poorly throughout history? Why is it that, that Hitler and the Nazis wanted to destroy the Jews? Because they were Jews? No, because they were the ones through whom the Messiah came. That's why the Jews have been hurt and hindered in every way possible because they're the ones through whom the Messiah came. And when he gets thrown down, he is going to be after the Jews like no other time. He is angry because they're the ones who brought forth the child. Look what happens in verse 14. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to a place where she was nourished for a time and a time and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. Same three and a half years, those last three and a half years. God's going to do a miracle. He's going to, it says, pick her up with angel wings or with the eagle wings and going to carry her over to a place in the wilderness. And she's going to be nourished by God. Many, many people think that's Petra. Go, when you get home, Google Petra. Petra is a, is a canyon city. It's a, right south of the Dead Sea. It's a place that is unbelievable in protection, but it's also unbelievable in blessing. And many people believe, many of the Jews believe that Petra is literally the place where the Jews will go and they'll be protected at that time. Some people believe it might be, it might be that air lifted out with the wings of the eagle. John's trying to describe something he don't know. There's no way we know exactly what happens, but what we do know is God's going to take care of those Jews, even though he's trying to get them. Remember those 144,000 who've been sealed? God's going to take care of them. Look what happens in verse 15. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that she it caused her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. In other words, it can be a physical thing or a spiritual thing. It don't know what it is. But whatever it is, there's an energy that the enemy is using to try to destroy Israel. And whatever happens, even the earth itself is going to be on the hand of God to protect Israel. And whenever he can't accomplish that, look what happened, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. The rest of those Jews who keep the commandments of God, but not only who keep the commandments of God, but who, got, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. He's going to turn away from the Jews and he's going to begin to persecute all those who hold the testimony of Jesus, who believe in Jesus, who keep the commands, and they're considered the children 
of Israel. They're like the children of Israel, children of faith. He is going to ravage them at that time. Now, let me show you something that's powerful and worth you being here, all right? Look what happens in verse 10. Remember, oh, Satan's been thrown down to this world. It's going to be the most horrendous time that has ever been in human history. But it tells us about a group of people. There in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Listen now. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. Underline this. And they overcame him. Now listen, this is a description. This is the most horrendous spiritual time you can imagine. Satan is outwardly battling. He is trying to destroy. He is trying to hinder and hurt everyone who's a child of God. All right? I mean, there is nothing, you've never seen anything compared to what's about to happen when he describes this. But listen to what it says. Verse 11. And they overcame him because of one, the blood of the lamb. And two, because of the word of their testimony. And three, because they did not love their life even to death. In the midst of this horrible experience... There will be the overcomers. And do you know how they overcome? They overcome through the blood of the lamb. That's a picture of atonement. The atonement gives believers access to the throne of almighty God. The atonement, the shedding of the blood. Do you know the Talmud records that old Satan stood before the throne of God accusing every day except on the day of atonement. On the day of atonement, oh, Satan could not accuse the brethren before the throne. Well, here's the great thing to know. Listen, you and I are supposed to constantly be under the blood of the lamb. Amen. Our atonement is happening not one day a year. It happens every day. The blood of the lamb is constantly over us, which means that when the blood of the lamb comes over us and the atonement is full, Oh, Satan cannot accuse us, and we have full access to God. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. The greatest privilege we have, and we have no idea, the greatest privilege we have is to be able to come before the throne of God, the throne of grace, and pray. And pray. And for God to hear us, and God to move heaven and earth. How did that happen? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of the atonement of Jesus. We have access to Almighty God. But that's not all. The atonement gave them the access to God, but redemption gives them a word of power as a believer. And what's that word of power? It's called a testimony. (laughs) They overcame by the blood of the lamb, but they overcame because of their testimony. Listen, my friend, whenever you've been redeemed, you got a testimony. You got a story to tell, and you're supposed to be telling it. You're supposed to be telling that story, sharing that story. Let other people know that story. How did Jesus change you? How did Jesus touch you? How was your life transformed? That's power. And the final thing is this. It says, and they did not, or they loved life. They did not love their life even to death. It means that they love something more than they love their life. And you know who they love more than life? They love Jesus. And you know how that takes place? It's called regeneration. Regeneration is God makes you new. You get a new heart. See, our old heart, all it loves is us. 
Our old heart just loves us and loves us. We love us. But a new heart, a regenerated heart, loves others and most of all loves God. And causes a person to love God more than they love their life. And whenever you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and you've been atoned and made clean, you have access to God. And when you have the power of a testimony that wherever you go, you can tell what God has done for you. And when your heart's been changed and you love God more than you love life, I'm here to tell you, in our day and time, we are overcomers. They can overcome in that day with that. We can overcome today in the same way. Those three things that God gives to us. I don't know how much you are in the Revelation, but I can tell you one thing. You better write those last three things down because you need to know that. You need to understand that. Satan doesn't want you to know that because he knows this, that if you ever learn those things, live those things, apply those things, he has no power over you. For Jesus, Jesus is the one who is our victory. Did you hear that last song? Holiness has a name. It's Jesus. Victory has a name, it's Jesus. The Word of God has a name, it's Jesus. Redemption has a name, it's Jesus. That's what we just said, amen? And it's all about Jesus. Take it, live it, believe it, and be set free. But if you've never given your heart to Christ, you need to do that today. You need to get under the blood of the Lamb. You need to be cleansed. You need to be made new. You need to have a story. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. We're here to help you. Know how to do it. To pray with you. Minister to you. Child of God, we encourage you to live out that testimony. Live out that testimony. To take that full access you have to God. Pray. Come before the throne of grace. And to let your love grow for Christ every day. Every day. More and more. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.